Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. So on today's edition of the Who Needs Instructions podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Cooper. Now, Andy is not only a father and a grandfather, but his trade is journalism. And we'll find out all about that. And he's actually the first ever contributor to the Who Needs Instructions website. He wrote a brilliant article in the blog section all about the Jolly Boys. And we talk about that in today's episode as well. As always, I like to get the guests to introduce themselves. So here's Andy telling you a little bit about himself. I've been a journalist and a writer for this now is 30 plus years now. I uh, spent most of my career kind of rolling around the regional media scene. Uh, I did have a little spell on the nationals, which I didn't overly like, so I didn't last long there in the sports department. But yeah, I worked initially in the kind of East Midlands and East Anglia on local papers. And then in 97, I got a promotion from Essex, where I was editing a paper for a big company who were they're not, they don't exist anymore, but they were part of the Daily Mail and General Trust PLC. Like a lot of changes in regional media, they're, they're not with us anymore. But they asked me if I wanted to move to Barnstable. And we were living in Essex. Uh, I was married at the time. My boys were five and two. And, you know, it was just an idyllic move, really. Essex was lovely. Uh, you know, nothing wrong with Essex. But when you're offered the chance to go and live 10 minutes from the coast with boys who are five and two, you, you don't really turn that down. And I've been down in the West Country ever since, really. I... I'm a Midlander, really. I was born in Solihull, which people call the posh part of Birmingham. Um, I'm a big defender of Birmingham, though. You know, I think it's a, a great city and like spending as much time as I can there. I don't, although lately, of course, that hasn't. But I was born in Solihull. But I then moved when I was about two to a town called Northampton in the Midlands, where I grew up, really. I was there from kind of two to 19. So that's past me an affliction for Northampton Town Football Club, which is not something to, to sort of share publicly, if you can help it at a minute. We're bottom of the league. Uh, yeah, but came down to the West Country in 97, spent a bit of time in Barnstable, where I think we first kind of met. And then I got promoted again by the company down to Truro. So I spent some time working in Cornwall. And I ended up kind of managing editorial, if you like, all their weekly newspapers from kind of Yeovil down to sort of Penzance, which was a great job, big job. Lots of changes obviously started happening in regional media because I think most intelligent people know that newspapers were pretty much founded on the money that came in from classifieds and of course the money from classifieds went online it jobs property motors it's the kind of unwritten law of local journalism really which we've we've only probably just woken up to lately that all those beautiful stories those pictures those features those court reports those council reports they were actually paid for by the classified advertising and the display advertising and, it, you know, it worked brilliantly for 150 years. And then, of course, along came the Internet. Things started going online and a lot cheaper. There was an amazing um, analogy, I think, or a stat that was put for every pound, sorry, every thousand pounds that was taken in print, a pound could be taken by the same media company online because the yeah, public really? was just to get things for free. So, yeah, about kind of eight, nine years ago, I sort of started to have to get involved more in cut than creativity and you know I, I think a meeting was held where it said X was too expensive the business and he would have to go Y was too expensive the business she'd have to go and I looked at myself and thought you know I think I'm too expensive for the business so <laughs> I volunteered for redundancy because the terms were quite nice at the time a few changes were going on in my personal life and um, 
I wasn't really planning anything in particular. And then Archon, who owned Devon Life, got hold of me, a very good guy called Tim Thurston, who's not MD anymore, but he was at the time, just ran me up and said, oh, I hear you're on the market. And I kind of said, well, I didn't know I was really. And, you know, you just get these lucky breaks in life, don't you? It was one of those sliding doors moments, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. And so from you know, managing 90 journalists or so across a load of weekly newspapers. I ended up with me and two others producing Devon Live, but it's been fantastic. You know, I've really loved it. I hope we've taken the magazine forward. Uh, and yeah, I've got some great colleagues and we use a lot of freelancers. So I think people are always amazed when I say there's two and a half staff actually employed editorially by Devon Live, but there is. Yeah. But we use some great freelance writers and photographers. So yeah, that's my... Um, Potted history, really, career and personal wise. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there and say, you know, lucky breaks happen to lucky people. And, uh, and you know, I say lucky people in very tongue in cheek because, you know, you've clearly earned it. You've got a reputation, uh, a, a good reputation, obviously. Depends <laughs> who you talk to. <laughs> a good reputation in the, in the uh, you know, the, the print world or the, you know, in, in journalism in, in general. And, um, but, you know, you're also, and what I've realized is that you're also, you're very approachable. Um, and I think that's really important when it comes to, you know, putting content down on a piece of paper, even if that piece of paper is on a computer screen so people can see that sort of stuff. Um, so I reached out to you at the very beginning of this project um, and said, look, you know, I'd love for you to, to put in some words um, to write a blog for us, write an article for us. And you wrote this brilliant piece uh, about the Jolly Boys in North Devon. Now, in case no one's actually read that, and if you haven't read it, tut tut, go to the website right now. But, you know, tell me a little bit more about the Jolly Boys, if you wouldn't mind, please, Andy. Well, as I said, yeah, I arrived in North Devon in 1997 with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So they started what kids do. They went to primary school, lovely little primary school up in uh, North Devon, which people who are familiar with will know, uh, Holy, called Holywell at uh, Torstock. It's actually got a thatched roof, this primary school. I mean, it there can't be many primary schools in the country that have got a thatched roof. Fantastic school, big, big uh, classes because, you know, there weren't enough years to have a year group for each class. But, you know, you pick up friends and acquaintances at the school gate. My boys started things like Cub Scouts and Surf Lifesaving and all the things that you get to do when you're a young person growing up in North Devon. And I met these blokes, uh, you know, some of them over the almost initially as soon as we got down there and our kids were at school some of them via uh, clubs and societies that the kids belong to, and some via work. And actually, there's a very good pal of mine, a chap called Mike Southern, who's a well-known photographer up in North Devon. And Mike and I got to know each other, and, you know, we started going out for lunch occasionally and chewing the fat, and then other guys would join us. And then we suddenly said to each other, I'll tell you what, why don't we just make this a regular thing? Last Friday of the month, we started off at the Wayfarer, a lovely pub in Insto, and you could just turn up one o'clock last Friday of the month. Didn't matter if you couldn't make it. You didn't have to give your apologies. You didn't have to sort of do a frantic phone call or try and drop everything. You know, if 10 minutes before lunch, something came in work-wise or personal life-wise and you couldn't make it, fine. And so it got to being about six, seven, eight of us. Occasionally the odd guy would join us who was a mate of a mate or whatever. But there was this core group. And yeah, sometimes it could be two of you. Sometimes it could be seven, eight. Uh, and then eventually we moved to the Chichester Arms at Bishop Thornton, change of scene, and it was a bit nearer town where some of the guys were working. And obviously with some of the traffic issues that were in 
play at the time over the summer in uh, North Devon. You can't exactly park at Instow, which I don't mind because, you know, those grockles pay for a lot of um, infrastructure and economy support. So I'm not an anti-grockler. Just, just for the outsiders, we need to explain what a grockle is. Oh, yes. Well, a grockle <laughs> is a Devon word for a tourist. If, <laughs> funny enough, if you're, in, if you're in Cornwall, you're an Emmet. You're an Emmet. And, yeah, and you're you, an you must know what, what an Emmet is in Cornish. Uh, I don't. You've oh, do you not? Oh, no. well, I, I only know this because my, one of my very best friends is Cornish through and through. And Emmets is the Cornish word for ants. Ah, of course, I get it now. Brilliant. Well, I should know that because I've actually got uh, a few. We're digressing here, but that's what this sort of conversation is bound to be. But Absolutely. My, my mum started looking to our family history. And as I said earlier on, I, I, look, I grew up in the Midlands. But actually, my mum has traced my direct descendants to the Isles of Scilly. No. So we, yeah, my great, great, great grandmother is buried just outside Hugh Town in the parish church there. Uh, it's remarkable, really. So I've been over a few times. I love Sydney. I've got a good pull about it. So I should know Emmett means <laughs> my, my Cornish isn't what it should be. So anyway, these guys and I started meeting, as is the nature of things with guys, you know, going through their sort of 30s, 40s, 50s. We've had the full playbook of life experiences, you know, mm-hmm. death, divorce, taxes, relationship issues, job losses. You know, we have really been through the card. And as I tried to explain to you, really, um, I don't suppose we made it official or we gave it a badge or gave it a, some headed notepaper or a membership card, but we've kind of been there for each other. And mm-hmm. they're still good pals of mine, uh, particularly three of them at the core of it. As I said, tragically, I had a fantastic mate, a mate called Rob Simpson, who was right at the heart of it, you know, real joie de vivre, beautiful chap, loved life, and he tragically died three years ago, four years ago, sorry, now, because it's 2021, isn't it? And, you know, we had to deal with the shock of that, and, you know, we've, I don't think we've ever really, quote, unquote, got over it, but, you know, we were there for each other when that happened. And, yeah, it's just been a lovely, kind of unofficial, network we go to sports events so you'll find us at you know test matches with the cricket uh, we go to the chiefs for the rugby if there's a bit of a social occasion we might try and get one of those together each year and yeah we've um we've never really made it kind of too formal but yeah and i i kind of explained to you didn't i, I think where the british and where the british bloke comes into the his own is the taking of the piss of each other quite and, right you know, <laughs> if, you, if someone's taking the piss out of you, they, they probably quite like you and they respect you perversely. So, yes, we're good at that. There's lots of Mickey taking. Yeah, and they've just been an amazing network of pals. And even though I moved away from North Devon about seven, eight years ago, I still made it my business to rock back up there for the last Friday of the month. It has, as I admit in the blog, fallen a little bit into disrepair with COVID and the lockdown. Yeah. But... I think one of the positives out of writing that blog for you was I, I thought to myself, we well, ought to resurrect this. And I told the lads that I'd written about it and they all logged on and enjoyed uh, reading about what I'd got to say. And we've said, you know, when life, hopefully not too far away, gets back to normal, we'll resurrect things. And that's brilliant. And that, you know, I think you speak for the entire nation there where we all cannot wait to get back together. Um, I mean, I've got a Zoom call coming up on Thursday night with my curry club ladies. And uh, one of them has got a, a new man in her life who's a fantastic chef, apparently. And he's going to cook us all curry that we can then go to her garden and eat and chew the fat. The, the idea behind Who Needs Instructions is to kind of create support networks for, for men everywhere. Because I think 
the, the, the group that you've just described there, unfortunately, is unusual. Okay, um, there are a lot of men who don't have that kind of support network, and I think I count myself uh, in the group like you with the Jolly Boys. I've got some really, really close friends. I've got a group of guys that I've known since primary school that I wow. still, when we were allowed to, we still meet up once a year. We, we go and play golf, um, and it's you know as well as I do, it's not about the golf. It is about you know, oh crikey, I've been through well everything. I've been through puberty with these guys. I've been through mm. you know my first kiss with a girl, and I snuck off and run back to them and told them all about it. These guys are all now married. Some of them are grandfathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that feels really strange to say that, but so so there's that whole kind of uh, the whole gambit of emotions that goes with that. But I know that there are guys out there who don't have that support network, and and what I don't want to do is go. This, this conversation mustn't be about, well, we've got it, so there, no, 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 and you must have it too. What I want to try and help guys do is, uh, is to be able to find that. And, and you know, in, in men our age, that's much more difficult because we haven't got those relationships where, you know, I've got a group of friends who, when I dropped my children off, my stepchildren at school, I met the dads and the mums around the school gates and they turned into lifelong friendships, just like some of the Jolly Boys did. And it's, um, I went for a walk with a very, very good friend of mine. It's my, my uh, pair's partner at golf. And unfortunately, um, he has very recently lost his wife. Um, so we've been through lockdown. We've been going, well, we normally used to play golf on a Sunday morning. So we'll just go for a walk on Sunday morning because the courses are closed. And it, he's very much, he really likes what Who Needs Instructions is all about. And he said, look, but I don't have that. And he said, I'm trying to find that. And, and you know, what he said to me was that, he had lots of business relationships and work relationships that could have potentially turned into friendships, but because it was in the work environment, he didn't want to overstep that mind, that, that line. And he was so official and good at his job that he didn't want to turn those things in. Now, I don't know if it's because me and you work in the media world and those lines are quite well blurred uh, between, well, I need to take that person for lunch because they might be a good future contact. And that lunch turns into maybe, a liquid lunch and hey ho we're we're friends because we've kind of got a bit pissed and told each other stories that we wouldn't tell to uh, someone we're trying to sell something to or buy something from so it's those it's those work relationships which actually and what it broke down to with with myself and, the, and my my golf partner uh, peter is that it's looking for those opportunities of friendship which sounds ridiculous but actually you know if that guy is a good guy stay in touch uh, and you know it's about maybe taking it past the professional and getting it into the personal. And I, I don't know, for, for you and I, I would assume you're the same as me. It just, it's just naturally it comes, it happens. But is there anything we could kind of do to encourage guys or, or help men who don't have the support networks like we do to find those kind of people? I think it's a fine line, isn't it? Because as you've kind of hinted, if you make it too official and a bit forced and a bit, oh, well, be here at X time and clock in and here's your membership sub. And, you know, people will find a reason not to do it. I think, you know, I'm bound to say this, aren't I? I think your initiative is amazing. And maybe you might get some guys at the margins of it for two, three, six months, mm. watching, looking on, seeing what it's about. Um, you know, there's no harm, I don't think, when you get to my age, and I'm 55 in June of 2021, to admit, and it's all a bit frightening sometimes out there, you know, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not even talking about coronavirus, which, 
is a whole different level of conversation. You know, that wish to engage and to admit you're struggling and you've got things on your mind and you, I mean, you know, and I've never slept more badly in the last 12 months than I've in my entire life. Now, some of that must be lockdown related, but you know, also I think you just get to the point where a lot of the pillars of your life at the minute are being wobbled, you know, finance, job, career, no, no one really, unless you're a manufacturer of PPE. And I think that's <laughs> going to you know, run its course can say that, you know, they feel secure now compared to the, how they did 12 months ago. I'm sure, you know, even, less than those NHS workers are going under so much stress and strain in their jobs. So although they've performed a vital role for all of us, it's come at a great personal cost. And I think we, you know, just at the start are beginning to understand that. So I think to answer your question, um, I think it's slightly organic, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. see what we're doing. May, uh, introductions are always good, aren't they? You know, when a bloke says who you respect and value their opinion, when he says to you, oh, you know, I saw this or you should... Look at that. I mean, again, the Jolly Boys, we've got a little funny WhatsApp group that just yeah. shares stuff with each other. And kind of, you know, if someone sends your latest blog, your latest post, your latest initiative, and, you know, it's somebody whose opinion you respect and value, I guess that's the way to do it. But you're right. Um, I think I've been lucky in the media. It was all about contacts. And yeah, there were some legendary lunches over the time. I always <laughs> thought a lunch was good when it turned into a dinner. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. Been on a few of those. And yeah, it's easy for us because I think it was our job to communicate with people. But, you know, if you've got a desk job, um, working away in an office where it could be predominantly women, I don't know, or, mm. you know, the guys are not your generation. I think, you know, our generation now starts to feel a little bit isolated. Uh, I don't know why that is, but, you know, it's, it's probably more organic and look, see what we're doing. We're not going to slap a introductory fee on you or a demand that you log on or a, an attempt to get you to perform quote unquote but yeah look at what we're doing see if it's got some value from you i think maybe also some quasi involvement from professionals as well you know so your psychologists and um, mm -hmm. i had somebody contact me this week who was saying did i think maybe it was via linkedin actually said, did i think i needed the services of a life coach and he was tattered for business fair dues. 10 years ago, I'd have laughed that out of court. You know, life coaches were for wimps, you know. And, <laughs> you know, well, who needs a life coach? Life is life. I think my attitude to that might be slightly different now. You know, it mm. might be that, you know, that's the sort of role that we should perhaps embrace a bit more these days. And I remember, yeah, it probably was 10, 15 years ago, an MD came into a company I was working for and talked about his life coach. And we used to laugh, you know, yeah. like, oh, if you need a life coach, actually, the joke might now be on us. And I think, yeah, some involvement from sort of professionals who can provide strategies, coping mechanisms, initiatives uh, would probably help as well. But it is very hard to get blokes to admit that they're struggling because yeah. there's this dynamic running that you're not supposed to be struggling, you know? And I think the, 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 the thing that kind of brings it all home to me and the realize, realization that I've had, because again, like you, I've got this, I've got a WhatsApp group with four guys in it, me and three others. Hmm. And these are four, three men who I absolutely respect. Um, I love each and every one of them. Um, and I love them because I've got to know them and they've, they've shown their vulnerable sides to me. These are three men who also run companies 
And I feel a little bit, sometimes I go in there, I'm actually the oldest of the three as well. So they're all younger than me, all financially more successful than me. It's not about that. But so, so I have a level of respect for them. Um, and, and then when they let me into their world, I go, shit, this is cool. You know, that I'm, I'm part of this. And what I've learned from that is that the stuff that's going on inside their heads is almost identical to the stuff that's gone inside my head as well. And that must be the same no matter, and I was going to say you, the, the further you look up the ladder, what I mean is the further you look towards someone that you respect. And let's go all the way to the top like Barack Obama. Um, I guarantee that man when he was running America, that when he brushed his teeth in the morning and looked in that mirror, I bet you he said, who gave me the, the, the responsibility to run this country? You know, who am I to do this? It's the imposter syndrome. And I want to encourage men that, listen, we're all thinking stuff up there. We all beat ourselves up. So if you see that opportunity to kind of open up and talk to a guy that's in a, a more formal uh, scenario, and you can maybe see the, the situation where you could take it a little bit less formal, then I would reach out and, and grasp that that chance because that might turn into the friendship where you go oh my god yeah that happens to me and oh flipping it this has happened that's happened and that's where that's to me where the magic really happens and i think yeah to it to extend on that point i've always thought and this is some of the some of the best mentors in my life and you can most of us who've lived uh, you know business personal life over a few years can can name them i think one of the best sentences i've ever heard in life generally business or personal has got four words in it it's what do you think and if you've got the bravery to say to someone else, what do you think, rather than I think or I believe, you know, I mean, it goes against a lot of the leadership roles we've all been talked to about over the years and how we should be leading from the front, that kind of thing. And someone once told me, you know, there's a big difference between leadership and management. And I think sometimes the two get merged a bit. But if you've got the bravery to say to someone, at work, you know, I try to do it a bit myself. You know, someone would come in, boss, we've got a problem. Da, 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 da. They probably knew the solution already. But, you know, if you said to them, what do you think? Uh, well, I would. Okay, go and do it then, you know. And, yeah. But, you know, it's the same in your personal life, really. I think, you know, what do you think is a bit like saying help, actually, isn't it? It's, I, I'm not sure of the answer to these problems. And I wish I was, but, you know, I could do with a bit of outside help. And I think that can, if you're careful, that can transfer over into your personal life. You know, I, you could say to someone being quite brave, you know, I'm really struggling at the minute. The kids are homeschooling or mm. work's a bit wobbly or, you know, I'm not having great relationship issues or I'm frightened about X or Y in the future, or in the immediate future on the horizon. What do you think I should do? You know, and that's the spirit of, who needs instructions, isn't it? It's yeah. yeah. Guys, guys would normally say, yeah, I can do this. No problem. Whereas yeah. I think we've all got to probably hold our hands up and say, well, we can't always do it. And we might need a collective effort to get through it. Yeah. I mean, there, there will always come times where, you know, you are going to struggle and, you know, even the guys that we look up to, you know, they go through struggles. Uh, the, the, the one that, I think probably sideswiped everybody was when someone, you know, as, as famous as Robin Williams goes and takes his own life and the outsider just innocently looking at is going, why would he do that? He had everything. And it's actually the, the struggles that are going on inside his head. We, we knew nothing about. So if you look at other people around you and, you know, they may be going through similar struggles, we have no idea. So it is about that 
that that breaking down of the barriers and let's be less stiff upper lip and I hate the phrase man up um, and it was said to me many many times by many many teachers um, my, uh, I'll give you an example of my father. He's now 85 years old. He's, I'm very lucky he's still here. He's had his first coronavirus injection and that's, good, that's good. lifted his spirits amazingly. He lives 250 miles away up in Surrey, unfortunately. So I've not seen him for a year and a half. But that man, when my parents went through a divorce at the age of 17, it flipped his world upside down. Um, up until then, everything had been very, my father went to work, my mum stayed at home and brought the children up. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't you know, holding that over her and saying you must not go to work but she he said you don't have to go to work we can afford this it's going we, we had a, a comfortable upbringing my mum walks out my dad's world flips upside down to this day i was the guy who was there for dad unfortunately it was tough on me and it, you know, amazingly tough on him but our relationship now is just like nothing I've ever experienced before. The man, Almost every like time brothers, I, by the sound of things, it's amazing. You know, I, yeah. I, ki I kiss this man, and I, you know, I, I, without being, let's not be silly. You can take the piss as much as you want, but you know, I kiss this man, and I enjoy kissing my dad because I oh. love that man more than any other man in this world because I saw what he went through, and we kind of went through it together. And it's turned him into this soft, lovely human being that every time we have a phone call and he puts the phone down to me, I love you, son, I love you, son, I love you. And I'm like, oh, God, it breaks my heart every time I put the phone down to him. But he, that, that vulnerability is there. And we've been through it and, and together. Uh, and and I, I, I guess that's, it must have shaped my life as well. I don't know. I've never been to see someone and, and ask professionally, listen, this happened to my parents and maybe I'm a bit fucked up from all this, but uh, <laughs> I think, be, yeah, we, we know, don't we? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that your relationship with your parents is key to some elements of how you progress in life. I don't think it's definitive because I know my own knowledge of certain people I've had as friends or, you know, had relationships with, they had, bloody awful parents and they yeah. still manage to get out of where they were and make themselves better as a result so it's not definitive but it's pretty you know life-shaping even if it is that you've had to overcome the adversity of not having great parenting so yeah I agree entirely the jolly boys and I I mean we'll hug we'll kiss you know I think the French probably they're a bit blasé about it you know yeah. they'll kiss on one or two cheeks or three if you really know someone and they almost do it in a perfunctory way now well maybe you know, it's going to be interesting in a post-COVID world where the handshake is even, you know, up for questioning. But yeah. yeah, I think human interaction, I think it's that look sometimes, isn't it? You know, you, can, you can't always see that someone's struggling. But if someone isn't, who's in your circle, isn't quite behaving how they normally would, who's dropped off the radar, you know, that campaign about it's okay to say you're not okay. I think it became a bit of a cliche and it, you know, it's in danger of falling into cliche. But Cliches are cliches because they're probably true, actually. They and they're, repeat, they're repeated so much, they become cliches. So it's a sort of carrot and stick type approach to that one, really. But I think, yeah, that, you know, if you've got good antennae, and not everybody has, someone in the circle of friends or acquaintances or, you know, I, I had a guy I went to school with uh, who he hooked up with me on Facebook about five, six years ago because he found me that way. And we hadn't seen each other since we were lads of about 15, 16. And then at the start of coronavirus, he just sort of messaged me and said, are you okay? And I thought, what a great gesture, you know, because I hadn't thought to do that to him, which makes me a bit of a prat, frankly, <laughs> no. selfish git. But, you know, he had, he probably thought, oh, there's Andy, you know, miles away. I know it's a crappy old time and 
scary. And I'll, I'll reach out to him and then we probably just need a bit more of that, you know, but yeah. it does come from within, doesn't it? You've got to admit you're struggling. And we know, don't we, tragically, I mean, I covered far too much of this when I was in my newspaper career. Male suicide is a massive issue, a massive issue. And the number of times when I was a reporter and I went to inquests and people were bewildered at this bloke taking his own life. Mm. And, you know, I think we've still got an issue there. Of course we have. It hasn't gone away. Initiatives like this must be the building blocks to making that less of an issue. I don't think it's ever going to go away. Of course it's not. But then also you see things like what the Duke of Cambridge is doing about, you know, mental health and the fact that you can say you're struggling, you know, footballers, rugby players, the like, you know, it, I think it's less of a stigma now, isn't it? To admit that you're struggling. What we do about that is the next big challenge, really, I think. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I must admit, I don't want to make Who Needs Instructions all about mental health. But the more I speak to guys about it, the more their perception that this is about mental health. And I'm like, look, what I want to do is get men talking uh, and, and talking more openly because that will improve every area of their life you know so it will improve the relationships you have at work and i bloody well hope it improves the relationship you have at home as well um because the flip side of this is that just naturally women do seem to be a lot better at communicating with their fellow women um and you know old books like you know men are from venus women are from mars whichever way around it is i don't know but it is absolutely true. And I've been married uh, and I could not read my wife's mind, but somehow she could read mine. And I'm like, how, how did you do that? So, so, you know, what, maybe another question for you then is, you know, what, what can we learn from women? What, why are they better at this than us blokes? I don't know. That's, you know, that's the eternal question, isn't well, it? Really? Yeah. I think they, they probably have gatherings it's a very difficult to be a bloke talking about women because you can be shot down in flames and like you i haven't got a master's in understanding women and i don't think i ever will um i think they probably find it easier to be a bit more open mm-hmm. i think you've got the traditional roles in society you know it, it can almost if you're not careful go back to the caveman can't it you stay there in the cave and look after the children while I go out and bash something on the head and bring it back for dinner and Mm -hmm. you know we're in danger of still perpetrating some of those myths that you know we are to behave in a certain way because society expects it and I think every branch of society you know media film television uh, social media is a very interesting one to throw in the mix here because you know people can be very judgmental very quickly on social media so if you are brave enough to say I'm struggling and you're a chap, you will get some idiots who fire you down for so doing. But on the question of women, we ought to ask women, really, hadn't we? I mean, they'll know the answers. I think it's a bit unfair to throw that one at you. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mind. I observe observe the way women socialise and they, you know, they, they seem to just be better at it. And I think it probably comes back to the things we've been touching on during the course of this conversation about the expected image of a man in the 20 first century you know and it's still not moved far enough forward for chaps to think that they can break the cycle maybe you know i've got grandchildren like like you were mentioning some of your pals have got and they're like just four and 18 months one girl one boy and maybe they will understand as they grow up that there isn't this division of expectation that you know you can be just as open as a boy as you can as a girl and socialize accordingly um very difficult to understand why that's the case, but certainly 
an acceptance that it shouldn't have to be that. You know, women shouldn't be better at communicating and sharing their feelings than men. There's no biological reason for that. You know, it's probably something more psychological and psychological things can be broken, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in, in society as it is today, for me, it's very 50-50. That's how it should be. And I think we're getting there. Okay. I think we're getting there in terms of life in general. You know, if I find a life partner, a, a lady that I want to spend the rest of my life with, you know, it's not going to be, I, I go work, I earn money, you stay home and you tend to house. You know, of course it's not going to be like that. But there's a lot of stereotypes out there um, that our generation from our, I mean, my father, like I say, you know, he was, a, he, he worked, mum stayed at home. So it's kind of inbred that that is potential. So when I got married, I said, my wife had a part-time job. Yes, absolutely fine. Of course you don't need to get, go, go and get a full-time job, you know, because I also wanted to be the man and I wanted to provide for my family. Now that, you know, I, I think that was the right thing to do, but absolutely it wasn't, you know, it wasn't set in stone that it should be that way. Um, so th- th- there's, there's, there's lots of things that we have to relearn. And like you say, hopefully, and it doesn't go far as back as your grandchildren, hopefully, you know, generations of, you, you know, maybe just your children will start to realize that it's a lot more 50, 50 these days. Um, I think the other thing is that I'm wading into very murky waters here. So mm. I might need to tread carefully, but I think blokes, some blokes let down severely the other blokes in society. And where I'm touching here is things like the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. To be honest, that's perfectly legitimate. And who wouldn't support some of the things that have happened out of the Me Too movement in terms of the way men have treated women over the years yes. and the, the, the remedies that need to be put in place and the changes in behaviour. But it doesn't make it great to be a bloke, does it? No. You, know, you can't say that, probably. I've just said it on a podcast, so I've said it now. And but I agree with you. <laughs> it didn't make it a great time to be a bloke because over there are probably a minority of blokes, but a significant minority. There's no point suggesting it's a small minority. Behaving like absolute criminals in some cases, mm-hmm. abusing women, making women's life a complete misery, ruining women's lives. And so you've got that very correct rectification of what they did and the movement to shine a light into some very dark corners but of course if you're a bloke it ain't great is it it's it's like bloody hell thanks you know there's a bunch of blokes over there who are getting us all tired with the same brush i'm not making the same analogy one iota but i'm kind of developing the theme here i was a cub scout leader when i was up in north devon and you know i did it because someone called me to a meeting and they said, you know, if no one volunteers to be a leader, the pack's going to close. So because my kids wanted to go, I volunteered to it. And of course, I told a lot of people, you know, in my work and social life, oh, I'm a Cub Scout leader. And some people sniggered because they got this image of paedophiles in yeah. shorts saying dib, 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 dob, 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 and abusing children. And that was because 0.7% of Cub Scout leaders were paedophiles and did yeah. abuse their position. And you got tired with that brush. I'm not running the same analogy, but I'm illustrating that it wasn't and it isn't great to be a bloke in certain aspects of society at the minute. And maybe that then does loop back a bit to the, well, I'm not going to come out here now and say that I'm feeling a bit vulnerable and I'm a bit upset and I'm a bit challenged by life because there's a bunch of people over there who probably don't have a more legitimate claim on that territory, but they've got a louder voice, they're articulating it it's got a whole wave behind it 
and I'll just keep myself quiet over here because no one's going to listen to me because there's a bigger thing going on in play over there. So I think that's interesting. You know, being yeah. a bloke, you start to say, it isn't really easy being a bloke. Some people are shooting down in flames and say, oh, well, try being a woman. Can I just say, there are some remarkable similarities between our lives. <laughs> I, too, I too have been a cub leader. <laughs> oh, right. Well, there you go. There you go. And I, all... I did, you know. Um, it my lads brilliant. loved it. My lads loved it. And we, well, we, tried, we, we tried not to be what we said was too woggly. In other words, just doing knots and yes. you know, bivouacs and that kind of thing. Because we tried to move our cub pack a bit more into the modern world and did stuff with them that, you know, made it more of a kind of youth club than a cub pack, really. Do, do they still wear woggles these days? I believe they do. I think I've still got mine upstairs somewhere in a Fantastic. top I, I See, I went through Cubs and Scouts and went even to Venture Scouts. And then our local pack up in, in the southeast uh, was about to get disbanded because there was no dads that wanted to step in and help out. So me and a guy called Drew, the two senior, lady, uh, two senior uh, chief scouts, said, well, we'll run it. So he became Arcada and I became Bagheera. And yeah. uh, the kids thought it was great because I've got massive ears and they called me Big Era. It was brilliant. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that same thing happened to me. It was in danger of folding. And the next thing I knew, I'm taking 30 kids, including girls, because when I, uh, halfway through my time as a leader, they allowed girls into Cub Scouts. So we took 30 kids on lots of camping holidays. Brilliant times, you know. Uh. And I could see my lads having a good time, but I could see other people's lads and lasses having a good time, which was great, really. Absolutely. Listen, I'm going to wrap it up there purely because uh, time constraints. Uh, I could sit and talk to you all day, Andy, quite literally. Uh, I think we've gone, uh, we've gone quite deep in certain places and we went off on a little bit of a tangent, which I think needed to be covered. And it's rightfully so. We were, we were quite careful about the way we talked about that, I think. But, uh, you know, I would love to kind of return to that kind of conversation and, and have a, a bit more of a, a delve and get some other voices involved as well. Definitely. What I would say is if you, if you enjoyed this, please contact me. If you've got any complaints, please contact Matt. <laughs> if they did want to contact you by the way uh because you know you're you are obviously still the editor of the devon life, of devon life magazine uh but you know you do some of your own stuff on the side so if they want to get in touch with you andy what's the best way to to get to yeah you? i mean just to explain i do the devon life role part-time these days because i sort of changed the emphasis in my career a bit about two three years ago so i've got a kind of copywriting business i do a little bit on so probably the best way to contact me is andy at andycooperwords.com which does what it says on the tip there you go Andy I really appreciate your time today um, thank you once again for writing the, uh, the brilliant article on the website and um, no doubt we will be uh, doing some stuff together in the not too distant future it's been my pleasure thank you who needs instructions the podcast for men who probably do need instructions instructions